our goal is to give them a solution that's that's best. And we want to be that solution, but when we're not that solution, we're not bending over backwards to try and be. And that's really empowering. It's hard. Everybody talks about it. Everybody talks about how do you get better at saying no and learning what you don't want to be. But as a freelancer, as, as a small business owner, it's really, really hard to believe that you should say no because it's a paycheck. You're listening to the No BS Agency Podcast. We talk strategies that can take your one to two person branding agency from $5,000 to $30,000 per month without hiring employees or working your ass off. All you have to do is cut the BS. I am Pia Silva. Today, I'm excited to introduce my guest, Carl Wilson, one of the partners at Loom Studio that heads up brand strategy and design thinking. I had the pleasure of working with Loom inside the No BS Agency Mastery Program this past year, and I wanted to bring Carl on to share his experience of applying the No BS principles to a three-person agency that works with larger clients. A lot of people tend to question whether the No BS model applies to larger organizations, larger projects with more decision makers, and while more decision makers is always going to be more challenging than just one or two, Carl and his team were not only able to apply the model, but they had stellar results with it. Shorter timelines, easier clients, and a process and creative work that their clients were ecstatic about. So without further ado, here's my chat with Carl. I am so excited to have you here, not just because I've loved having you inside Mastery um, and all the amazing things that you and your partners have done, but also because you've brought a unique perspective, a slightly different perspective than a lot of my other students. And I really want to dig into what that experience has been like and how you were able to apply things, what worked and what didn't, and just all the all the good, juicy stuff behind the scenes. So Carl, first, just please introduce yourself to the audience. Tell us a little bit about your business, how it's set up um, with uh, Sarah and Jordan and you know the name, obviously, and who you work with. Yeah, so I'm Carl. I'm one of three partners at Loom Studio. Um, We are a brand strategy and design firm based in Nashville, Tennessee. And really our focus is helping businesses, really anybody with a big idea, become a favorite brand. And we it looks like a lot of, of different things and it's definitely evolved through our time with NoBS. And over the last few years, I'm just adjusting to pandemic life and things like that has really shaped um, our model, but really our goal is for, I think, twofold. One is for people to see their idea, their business in a bigger way than they did before they worked with us. And the other is for them to have something that they are really proud of and go, oh, that's the version of this that I didn't know that I wanted or needed, but it's so right. It's so true. And it's so who we are. Super cool. How did the three of you start this? Like, when did you start this business? And how did the three of you come together with this? What's the backstory? So it all began kind of at a co-working space here in Nashville back. I think I first met Jordan around 2015 or 16. Um, and we were working in this co-working space, kind of a shared desk type of situation. And we would look across the desk and go, oh, what are you working on? What are you working on? We realized we're working on very similar things with similar passions. And a relationship kind of grew from there. We had worked on a project together just to see what it would be like and really liked it. 
And so officially um, became partners in 2018. And that's when Loom was kind of birthed. What kind of stuff were you each doing? Were you doing related things or the same kinds of projects? Like which skills do you both bring to the table? We both were freelancing. We both were on our own doing the hustle of finding really any and, and every kind of work in the Venn diagram of me, Jordan, and Sarah. There's a decent amount of overlap, but there's also these kind of zones that we all have some ownership over. And so Jordan really is the creative artist, designer. So he's doing a lot of graphic design, a lot of web and stuff like that. But I think pretty standard, you know, kind of digital designer. I was kind gotcha. of sitting on the fence more of mm-hmm. some some design, hacking together some websites, but beginning this journey to really figure out what um, doing consulting and strategy, you know, kind of full-time would look mm-hmm. like for me. And that's kind of the hat that I wear. We wanted to not be alone anymore, right? We had this, this desire and passion to not have to wear all the hats mm-hmm. that a freelancer has to wear, spread out the weight a little bit. We wanted to take on bigger projects and be able to solve bigger problems mm-hmm. for clients. And then we had a, we wanted to build a team. We really wanted that um, culture and that kind of group mentality of, of sharpening each other, of refining each other's skills, but also being able to dream outside of our own kind of lens mm-hmm. um, and get some other input into the work that we were doing and to help us we think that creativity happens with, with other people really well. We missed that. And so... Um, what began kind of organically of just, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of this design? This is what I'm kind of struggling with this, turned into this kind of formal partnership. And then Sarah became a partner about a year later. She was doing similar kind of story, independent, kind of freelancing, had her own book of clients that she was doing kind of full stack marketing support for, um, and a lot more on the marketing, strategic advertising kind of side, promotional type of work. Mm-hmm. And we brought her on to help with project management and loved working with her. And so she became a partner shortly after. Cool. And so now the way that it's structured is you are a three-person partnership. I think when people get into partnerships or three-person partnerships, I think a big question mark is who gets the clients? So who gets the clients between you guys? And and you don't have to answer this uh, too detailed if you don't want, but I'm super curious about who brings the clients in and, and how the if the way that you guys split up the money is dependent on who brings in the clients or not. So we are, are pretty equal across the board in, in every way when it comes to the partnership. Um, the balance and distribution of, of tasks and responsibilities is both specific in certain areas and then in other areas, it's very much shared. We're all business owners. We're all responsible for working with clients. So it's not like only one of us does sales. We do subdivide to try. And that's one of the things we're really working on right now. Now that we're kind of fitting in this, in this groove and we've got a a specific spot, really honing in on where are the areas where we can specialize as partners, right? Where are the areas that we can really live in our, our sweet spot and not have to cross over so often. And so with that in mind, specifically with sales, Sarah and I really are ones focused a lot on kind of going out and getting that new business um, in a more kind of traditional sense. Mm -hmm. Jordan's version of that is doing a lot on content and social media side. So coming up with, you know, what are we putting out in the world that's more passive? What's more of that kind of lead nurture stuff as opposed to like digging up leads and lead generation. 
So I think that we are still working on finding what our kind of each person's sweet spot is in that. And there's areas where we're naturally going to overlap, and that's part of our strength. And then we also need – it's important for us to find areas where we have a little bit of, of independence and uh, and agency ourselves. So you guys kind of split it up and you have your areas that you – but you're all helping to get the sales. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's unique, Carl, because I do find a lot of partnerships, especially when it's creatives in a partnership, sometimes one of the creatives is – super introverted or like, okay, yeah. great. I'm going to retreat to the design while totally. you go get the clients. And I find that that sometimes can be uh, a point of friction. So that's just why I'm curious. But it sounds like you guys are all on the same page about that. It's, it's being sensitive to each other's natural, you know, temperament and personality and the things we're good at and, and trying to construct processes and, and realistic expectations for everybody. That's part of the benefit of having partners. If you don't love this thing, sometimes there's stuff we've got to do, but a lot of times the goal is to spend more time in the things that you love and are great at, which usually go hand in hand, and less time in the things that make you uncomfortable and where you're not the best version of you. There is some, a bit of that in business owner, you put the hat on and you do the work, but then also one of the big goals and reasons for all three of us that this works and we're able to do better together than we would independently is because you go, you know what, I'm not good at this. It takes some self-awareness to go, hey, this is, not my, this is not the place I'm used best. But once you start to do that and see the return, you start to, like, it, it really becomes affirming pretty quickly. Of, I, I said I'm not good at that thing, and actually my life is better, right? Like I, right. I, because somebody else can, can, who is better at that can take that on. I love that. And so you guys all obviously bring lots of skills to the table, but looking to specialize and kind of utilize the fact that mm -hmm. you can be an expert in one area and right? That's how we get more efficient as business owners. Yeah. Do you outsource anything or are the three of you able to execute everything in-house? Mm -hmm. No, we do outsource. And when we first started, we had this dream, this ambition of building a team, never huge, it was always going to be boutique. We didn't want, you know, a massive agency or anything like that it was never the, the goal. Kind of a, I feel like more money, more problems mm -hmm. is my experience in that world. Well, more and overhead. So more people, more people, <laughs> more problems. Yeah. yeah. More people, more overhead, more problems. And we really, we really value the agility and versatility of, of being a smaller team. So we started to grow this team and brought on, you know, an actual um, dedicated project manager. And we had a junior designer who started as an intern with us and kind of continued to work her way up. And she was fantastic and had interns in and out. And we're starting to grow this, this team. And then, you know, pandemic happens and we're like, okay, we got to get real lean, real fast. Helped you know, some of those people um, moved on to the other opportunities, which we're very happy to let set them. them in that in that direction. <laughs> yeah, to let them go because they truly yeah. were better opportunities, especially at that time. And so we had to get pretty scrappy and figure out what are we doing, which lined up with our kind of starting to feel like I think that we need to come, we need to figure out a different model for for delivery. And that's you know when we found this intensive model, and that's really what's allowed us to stay lean is that we have a model that matches what we're trying to do from a you know, we have a production model that matches our business model mm. and our structure and allows us to stay lean and efficient um, and have repeatable processes. And so we do outsource stuff. One of the big ones was I had always by default built websites, right? So we had constantly try and figure out how do we build this? What are we doing? Hacking together kind of some stuff and really looking at it critically. We don't have the time 
anymore. And this is by far our area of biggest frustration and waste. So how do we get rid of that? How do we eliminate these areas of waste? I need to find somebody. And so we've got a really great partner that we use for web development. We still do design, um, but we send it off and get it back. And the levels of anxiety that have gone down and stress and, you know, that feeling of I'm not doing the thing that I'm best at is mostly gone because of of outsourcing that and, and embracing that partnership. So it's been really positive. Okay. So mostly the development of the websites is the outsource and everything else. That's is the biggest area for sure. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest area for sure. We're looking for other ways to do it, but that's the biggest one that we've implemented so far. So tell me a little bit like right before we started working together, what were the what were the biggest pain points or challenges that you were struggling with uh, as you were continuing to grow this in a new direction? Yeah, I think it pretty classically a lot of the a lot of the BS, a lot of the projects that don't end or close, a lot of the not being able to get people to approve things or sign off on things or schedule meetings, needing to launch stuff to get that door closed on a project but they haven't paid yet, and constantly feeling like you have to reinvent the wheel. I think to accommodate these different types of people and asking the question, is it us or is it them, right? Is it, is it me or is it these clients? And so it doesn't, when you're constantly focused on, are we doing the right process and the what of your, like what you're delivering, you don't really have time to focus on the how and making it special and making it meaningful and making it, you know, distinct to you. And so we lived a lot in that world of what are we doing? And now we focus a lot on how we do it because the what's pretty figured out. Got it. So now that you have a process, you get mm-hmm. to spend your energy on the part that actually matters. <laughs> yes. It's I, less questioning and more refining, right? It's more how to, it's less of all the things we could do. Is this the right thing? And we're going, I know this is the right thing. Now we get to make it our thing. I remember when we first had a conversation, first me and you, I think, and then the three yeah. of us, you guys were yeah. all a little like, I don't know about this. <laughs> it sounds a little far-fetched. I feel like uh, you were like, I'm not sure this is going to work for us specifically. Do you remember? I mean, this is a while ago. Do you remember what about it felt I like? I do. Why? Or if it could? Um, I think ambitious is probably the word. Of It's just kind of difficult to imagine going from what would take five, eight, 12 weeks. I mean, even in the worst case, some of the websites and things like that with certain clients that couldn't get decisions made and the more, more bureaucracy and red tape they have in their team, there's projects that six months, eight months, nine months, and just drag on. Go from that to weeks, one week, maybe two weeks, just I think more than anything was ambitious. Like this seems too good to be true. There's that piece of how can we get clients to think this quickly? And then also the how do we get organized enough to like make decisions that quickly. We knew there's that classic, okay, it's either time, cost, or quality, right? We aren't gonna we weren't willing to sacrifice quality. That was a big thing for us. This is we're a small team. We don't want to do stuff that we're not proud of because we don't think that's what's best for the client and our market is not people who are looking for a cheap solution. We want we're looking for people who want a good solution. We are a quality like we want to be in seen as more of a high-end experience, more of that boutique custom experience. So we're not willing to sacrifice on quality. We got to really cut down the time 
how do we make those things line up? And then there's the believing that we can charge more because that's the, you know, that's the side of the equation that has to go up. So I think just the combination of, of doing all of those things differently and rethinking all of those things in concert is like, this does seem a little too good to be true, but it's not. I get that a lot. Like we must be sacrificing quality to do this in a shorter amount of time. I think the other thing that you just, you mentioned in passing is the idea that like, will the clients value this if we're spending less time on it? What, what has been your experience with that? I mean, I know you felt that way a year ago. Like what has been the experience with the clients? I think there are some that have a certain sense of urgency for most people when I'm constructing like a sales pitch and thinking about how to communicate this to people, the timeline is less about, I need this in a week. It's that's a nice to have, not a must have for people. But when we translate that into focus and decision-making and scheduling and that kind of stuff, that's a part that does become more tangible to people. So it's less about the immediacy and more about the process of not dragging out, not elongating something. And then the real value add comes after the fact, right? Like once somebody's experienced it, and that's what's hard about it, but once somebody's experienced it, uh, just last week, this is by far the best website branding experience I've ever had. And it was done in a, a week. And that combination of things to be able to crack the code on how to deliver quality in outcome, quality in process and experience, and to do it that quickly is really, I think, a threat that is, it's a weapon that's really, really, you know, powerful. That's amazing. And when they said that, what do you think they were responding to? That Did it seem like they, because they obviously bought it from you, so they yeah. kind of, they must have trusted you, but yeah. was it like, yeah, I it, thought it would be okay, but I didn't realize, or what was that? This was an interesting one because this was a client that we had before, so they had experienced the old way of working with us and then sold that business, and now we're starting a new business, and we said, hey, we're doing things a little bit differently. Would you be willing to to jump in and try this with us? And he said, yeah, sure. And so he was even comparing to our, us to oh, ourselves. Wow. Of, <laughs> even this is better than the last time I worked with you, but also objectively, he worked with other people before and gone, no, like this is really, really good. And I think it is, it's that combination that just catches people off guard. If they, the thing to overcome is going, we can do this quickly and it's going to be really good. If the primary thing isn't, I'm coming to you for speed and I'm not coming to you for a value, right? That's the other piece you got to consider. I'm still going to pay a lot and you're going to do it quickly. It must not be very good. So it's that surprising element of it, of like, oh, we've exceeded expectations. I think it does catch people off guard a little bit. And that's what's tricky is you've got to kind of build up. It's a little bit more investment on the sales side and, and earning that trust and getting people to buy in based on past things. You go, no, like we've got a really clear process. This is what we're going to do for you. And here's some of the stuff we've done. And we all, this is stuff we also did in a week. So if you think that this is good, this is the kind of thing that we're able to put out there um, and do really quickly. But it is kind of a, you don't, not you and the clients, it's hard to, it's hard to believe until you see it. Yeah. Yeah. I've had the same experience. It's actually one of the reasons I, I encourage people not to lead with the speed and, and we don't lead with the speed. When you go to worst of all design, we're not saying one to three days. It's, it's there and it's prominent on this on the pricing page, but 
That's not why you're buying it. That's our process and it's better. That's but right. it's not, you know, because, right, of course, like speed is, we want good quality. Like we all right. want good, especially if we're going to spend a lot of money. We want good That's quality. Right. And then it's like, oh, and you're going to deliver it without dragging this shit out for well, <laughs> eight months. It, okay, great. Yeah. Right? The, the transition in the mindset of it's not about time, it's about focus. It's not yes. about it being fast. It's about it being focused. It, it's able to be fast because you're the only thing we're working on, right? And it's the only thing you have to think about too. So that little shift in the value equation, I think really is more meaningful on the front end. Mm. It's nice on the back end to go, man, like, now we're done, now what? But I think on the front end to go, we're, you're the only person, right? That exclusivity is more valuable than the speed, I think for most people on the front end, when it comes, especially in the context of quality. That's great. Can you tell me a little bit about what your experience has been doing the lead product process if we're talking about yeah. getting people on board? That's a big part of how we're able to set up the intensive, right? So our lead product is um, a paid discovery. We call it a brand roadmap. It's a three-hour call. Sarah usually does those. Sometimes we'll do an in-person meeting, but just a few hours to really dig in with them, to understand their business, to understand what their goals are, what their kind of ambitions are. And then we present them with uh, that roadmap of going, here's where we're going to start and here's where we're going to go or where we think you should go to get to, you know, achieving the goals for the business and for yourself as a driver on some level of this business. And one of the things we're going to recommend is whatever the next or the first intensive is. So even in that, that discovery process, somebody go, oh, we'll do a series of you know, meetings or it's three and then we'll do this big report or whatever, like taking that, and we had gone down that path a little bit, taking even that and condensing that into going, what's the intensive version of this? And how do we distill that down? And we charge like 2,500, you know, three grand for three hours, right? To do that and to bring that clarity and to set ourselves up for whatever that first intensive is. That allows us Okay, whether you work with us or not, you've got a roadmap and you, we've done, you know, that diagnosis. We formalized that diagnosis process of you're coming with a bunch of pain and we're going to tell you what we think the treatment is. Beyond that, the place that we would start is with this. Intensive is going to give you the highest ROI. And for us, it's typically either a website or like brand strategy. And so that gives us, we want to come out with that roadmap with enough, enough context to prep the intensive. So it's misleading a little bit because the intensive, we're meeting with them, all the meetings we have with them are within that one week after the roadmap, but we're doing prep ahead of time to be able to have things for them to react to in those first couple meetings. So, and that all comes from that roadmap. So they're very, very tied together, but they're not, the, the intensives are pretty dependent on the roadmap to stay within that schedule and to stay on, you know, within scope because we need that information. The roadmap, though, doesn't, it, it can be its own product without having an intensive. Somebody goes, no, I, you know, somebody else can build this website or somebody else can create a logo, right? It's, get in there and you go, you know what? Actually, all you need is this. You, you have good stuff. You need a copywriter. And while we write high level copy, we don't write the level of copy you need. This is the person that we recommend. So we still want to be a resource for that person and like send them in the right direction. But we're not shoehorned into being the answer if there's a better fit for them or a better fit for us out there. So you get to show up and actually be as valuable as you can be rather than yeah. looking for the sale. Yeah. Our, our thing is we don't want to be that versatility, that agility, 
of being lean, being able to understand a variety of businesses and kind of assess and determine what the best path forward is for them means we don't have to try and fit everything into one mold, right? We, despite being this intensive thing, if it's not a good fit for us, it's not a good fit for them. Our goal is to give them a solution that's, that's best. And we want to be that solution, but when we're not that solution, we're not bending over backwards to try and be. And we're also not trying to make them into something that's not best for them. And that's really empowering. It's hard. Everybody talks about it. Everybody talks about how do you get better at saying no and learning what you don't want to be. But as a freelancer, as, as a small business owner, as you know, it's really, really hard to believe that you can, that you should say no because it's a paycheck, right? It's money, it's whatever. Um, but putting it in that context of, these are the things that we're really good at. The paid discovery helps with a lot of that because I've already like this may be as much as I can, like, and I, we don't think about clients this way, but like this may be where they've maxed out their value for us, right? The most value we can we can permit and we're and we can provide, and we're getting fairly compensated for that, and so I don't feel as bad, right? Where if I do a whole bunch of unpaid discovery, now I'm like, why well, did all of that for nothing? Just to be nice, which is great, good for you, but it's hard to justify, so you end up often feeling like you have to bend over backwards or you have to squeeze them into something that's not best. So it sounds like what you're saying is by selling the lead product, it actually allows you to be less salesy and caught up in the sale. A hundred percent. It's an, if all of this stuff we try and I think one of the things that doing the intensive has allowed us to do is you have to think about things as inevitabilities, not options. So that classic piece of like it, the goal is to help somebody think that it was their idea, right? And we're listening and it's not in a way that's manipulative, but it's in a way of combining, I'm listening to you and I'm an expert. So the thing that I'm suggesting is both thoughtful and professional. It's a, it's a real It's a real solution that's right for you. So in thinking about it that way, because we're offering things, we're not tr- making somebody into something that they're not. And my goal really is for us and them to do the next best thing for them when you present it, because we've talked about it, we have this background and go, do you see how we got here? Yes. I see how we got here. It feels like an inevitability, not something we just pulled out of the air. So the inevitability is also the, the working with you on these bigger projects. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's really the sales. So how has this process kind of changed that sales experience, getting people onto the bigger project? I think that, beginning with listening and and diving in and going, okay, helping them believe that what you're doing is thoughtful and is part of a process really goes a long way. So when we do these roadmaps, we we use Figma. So we use FigJam, just open whiteboard, but we have specific things. And so it's very clear. This is what we're trying to do. This is where we're going. And if you follow our process, this is where you'll end up. So some people will be more behind the scenes about it. It'll be more kind of mysterious about it. And it's harder to bring people along that journey, right? But if we sit down and go, okay, we're going to go on a road trip. We're going to say, get in the car, I'm going to blindfold you, hope we end up where you want to go or in a place that you like. That requires a lot of trust. And because of the intensive, like we've got to earn that trust along the way, which means we've got to give people that information and help them like drop some breadcrumbs, right? As we go. So we sit down at the beginning and instead of just going, hey, get in the car, trust me, we go, okay, here's, we're going to stop here. We're going to stay here. And then we're going to go here. And then we're going to, you know, drive for a little bit. And then we're going to do this. And by helping them see the path, they're able to go, oh, like 
you do know what you're doing and you have, I see how this will benefit me. So I think that just letting people in a little bit more to that and it not taking the mystery out of the whole thing. There's enough magic in it that we don't need to be mysterious. If that like makes the ma- sense. The magic is actually in being less mysterious instead of yes. holding all the cards. It's like, let me show you how we're getting there yes. so you can be on board with this. And it makes it yes. easier for them to trust you and follow. The The balance between the magic comes in the balance between that's so simple and it's so amazing. Like I should have seen that and I didn't see it. And that doesn't happen when you're like really cagey about, about what you're doing. Um, so we try and be really clear about, do you see how we went from this to this? Because you said this, we made this decision and this decision and this decision. So there's a direct connection between what they're telling us and the way that we're making recommendations and decisions that helps us, helps affirm, right, their feeling of being heard. Carl, you could teach this program. I'm so excited. To hear you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you nailed it. I love it so much. I just love hearing it come, like, come back. Like, yeah. awesome. Can I, can I ask you, um, yeah. I, you know, I know you work with um, some bigger clients. Have you done this process mm-hmm. with multiple stakeholders? We have. So for, for us and the level of people that we work with, um, it's rare to have just one-on-one. And we actually discourage it because it's three against one. And that can be a little bit intimidating <laughs> for people. So we like to, even if it's like, it, it doesn't always have to be a, a partner. It doesn't always have to be somebody who is like at the same place in a business. Sometimes it's a, an owner and a marketing director. Sometimes it's an owner and a, or founder and an employee, right? Like the, just having that third party, a different lens to view it through and a different point of view. So with that in mind, on some level, we encourage more people up to a point. We have done the most complex, I think, one that we've done in this model was actually a government, um, two different kind of government entities that were trying to work together to distribute this this funding across their two programs. Um, Plus, there was really a campaign associated with promoting the whole thing. So three brands run by two different government entities is kind of one of the most complex things. And so the attention model actually really helped to be able to focus their attention, coordinate schedules, and to go, we're all going to be in the same room at this time to try and map out a calendar that would fit everybody's schedules over months would have been impossible. And we'd lose all of the, like, collaborative nature of it. So in the moment, in those meetings, in the intensive, it takes a lot of work to wrangle everybody and to focus those ideas and to make sure everybody's heard and, you know, gets equal attention and to help them see this is true and good for them. This is true and good for you. Those aren't the same in this instance was really tricky, Um, but it is doable and the outcome i think was really really positive but i don't know what it would have taken to do that in uh, given the amount of bureaucracy and everything how many people were involved would have been a mess so the fact that it was so focused i think really did help us and help them keep it from feeling just so abstract and and amorphous yeah, I think we've all experienced that when you get a certain number of people with certain different opinions or perspectives. Yeah. 
and then you throw it onto a six month timeline, like that project's yeah. never going to end. <laughs> no, 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 no. Cause it's, I, Hey, I've been, the things that people are thinking about in the in between oh more dangerously, the conversations that people are having either with each other or just with themselves yes. are really like you're creating these whole tree of narratives that you're totally unaware of. And so when you come back to meet together the next time, the project may have totally changed because you haven't talked and they've been talking and they've been talking to themselves. And we don't say it in a way of we want to rush somebody through something and get them something that's not best. One of the really big takeaways for us and for clients is trusting your expertise and trusting your gut and learning the areas where you to, to fight for the things that you really believe in as an expert and learning the things that are malleable and where the client is offering, you know, a distinct and different perspective that you've got to really find that, like figure out how to work into the equation that you maybe wouldn't have otherwise. It's especially true with those different, those different number of stakeholders of the more people there are, the more opinions there are, the more different things. And so finding the ways to hone in on the stuff that's really novel and unique and valuable and impactful and call that out and make sure those people are heard in those areas. And then also find the ways to really tactfully, kindly, sensitively deflect and redirect kind of yes and back into something that's more productive for everybody. Um, it, it is a skill that requires some, some, some exercise to get right. Absolutely. I think you, you nailed it in that there, I think sometimes people think uh, there's a lot of uh, assumptions, right? When you hear shortened mm -hmm. timelines, intensives, right? And, and also I talk a lot about being a leader confidently, like guiding the client, but it's not the same thing. I'm not saying be pushy, get people to agree to things that aren't good for them. It's, I think you right. nailed it. It's this delicate balance of, there are certain things that clients will have opinions about and push on they that really have no reason. It's just yeah. a thought and they don't know why yeah. or have any, it's not connected to the goal or anything. And then there are sometimes when clients have great things to add and you can totally make that change. And as yeah. the expert, and this is something that I think you'll agree, and you've been doing this a long time and I can tell, you know, you bring a lot of that. It's just practice to get better yeah. and better at being able to identify the difference and then being able to eloquently and kind of gracefully navigate <laughs> those two. Because yes. sometimes I am like gently but firmly, yes, and this is why we did it this way. And a client like will totally back off and they're like, oh, okay, yep. right? In a less advanced version of myself, I would have been like, oh, you want to see it in five different colors? Okay, well, let's uh -huh. hurry up and show it to you. And it's like, we don't need to do that. And then sometimes yeah. they bring something and you're like, that's interesting. I see the purpose of that. Yeah, let's totally see what that looks like. And it's like, yeah, that made it better. And that's that, just practice. Yeah, it really is. That that process of helping people disassociate a little bit, especially the, if you're one person working with one business owner, there's so much individual identity that's often tied into that. We really try and manage that early on and try and set the expectations of – I pretty consistently, if I think, if I'm talking to somebody and I think that that may be an issue where there's a really blurry line between who somebody is as personal an individual opinions, and right? my personal yeah, brand my as an taste. owner and the thing, then we'll do one of two things. One is to focus on in that brand roadmap, especially where like 
how do you see yourself and how does your personal brand, how do you position your personal brand as an asset to this brand? So we're separating the two, but we want to show them as complementary. And your personal brand is so, we want it to be so valuable. We're adding, right, not ignoring it and not pretending it's not there, but embracing that thing and helping them create distinction between the two, um, I think is really important. And then the other thing is that my, we'll say pretty early on, my our goal is not for you, this to be your favorite thing, right? We want to build favorite brands. It's already going to be your favorite. You made it. It's your baby. It's, you know, always going to be something um, that has a special place for you, but you can't buy from you, right? That's not a business model that's going to work for anybody. We need to be somebody else's favorite. And that may mean we need to make some choices that aren't what you would do if it was just up to you because we're considering these other point of views and these other these other kind of outside perspectives. We do want it to be something that you are confident in and you're proud of, but I don't need it to be your favorite brand. And helping set those expectations, if somebody really pushes back against that, it really is the kind of thing we go, yeah, I think we might not be the right people because part of what you're coming to us for is that expertise and that, that um, guidance. If you're looking for somebody to just execute on what you're doing, you can get that somewhere cheaper and that's what you should do. But if it's if you will trust us and you know, we're gonna include you in this, right? You're gonna see how we made these decisions, we're gonna talk about it. But this is one of those areas where setting that expectation can be really indicative of, of yes, I'm on board with that, or uh, this is, they're gonna have a really hard time with this. But it, it, yeah, that's something we try to do really early on. Really well said. I mean, the the expectation management and fulfillment is a huge part of what makes a project go well. And it's so, isn't it interesting that the, what I call the default way of doing things, like kind of the big, I think it's what the big agencies, the way that they run things and, or the way it's interpreted by the people that work there who then go off and do their own thing kind of lacks that piece almost completely that let me explain to you how to look at this and make decisions. When you say that in the beginning of a project, it completely changes the way the client shows up. And so when I talk to people who are like, all these clients are dragging these projects on, it's like, okay, well, if it's everyone, then look in the mirror. (laughs) It's your process. It's not them, right? Because I've also been in that situation as a client. I've been like, I'm being a terrible client right now because my expectations are not being managed and I have no idea what's going on. A hundred percent bringing, going back to that idea of bringing people along the journey and helping equip them to make informed decisions and to know because of this focus, we have to be really intentional about this is the thing, these are the pieces of this that I need you to care about right now. And the intensive model does lend itself to that natural instinctual focus better because there's not as much time. We, most people are really deadline driven, especially creatives. So if you're going, oh, I don't know how I can be that focused. I don't know how I can make decisions that quickly. You do it all the time the night before something is due, right? You do it all the time leading up to when you have to deliver something. We're just putting a little bit of that, building a little bit of that into the process because a lot of the time before is wasted, right? It's that the principle that the project takes as much time as you give it. You, you will use up as much time as you have. You will also use up as much focus as you have. So if you spread it out over all this time, your focus is going to get spread out over all this time. If you condense it with a little bit of, you know, 
building this muscle, your focus and your ability to make decisions quickly will match the timeline that you give it. The same thing would be true for the clients that you're working with. We have to prioritize. Our brain knows we have to do it. And so all the extra stuff of like, well, what if this and what if this? Like, we don't have time. You know we don't have time for that. That's not something we say. Like, that's part of where the brand roadmap and setting the expectation early, early there comes into play of we don't have to think about social media or we've considered the parts. We've already thought about the parts that are relevant for right now and the parts that aren't you know that we'll get to because we talked about when we're going to get to them. Like that's month three or that's month six or whatever, right? Um, so helping to set that expectation and create that process for people, um, I think goes hand in hand with trying to maintain that level of focus needed. People for both creatives and a lot of times for clients, there's one of two things. There's We live in the world of, I need to go right now. I need to make an immediate decision. Or I'm a perfectionist. So I'm going to live in the lab and I'm going to wait till it's absolutely perfect to release it out into the wild, right? There's the, the Uber MVP of like, nope, just get it out. And then there's also the perfectionist tweaking everything until I feel really good about it. And I think that a week truly, and if you do it even in less, but depending on the size of the thing, it's not so messy as like just an MVP, get it out, ship it, but it doesn't get, you don't buy into the lie of this might be done someday. No, it will be done this day. And that's when it's out. Knowing that all of this stuff is iterative, right? That helps to set that expectation of there's no expectation that this is done and we never touch it again, right? This is done for now. But this is a living, breathing organism. Your brand is a living, breathing organism. Your website is a living, breathing organism. Your communication strategy, your social media, these are all things that like they should evolve. So setting that expectation helps go, okay, I don't have to figure it all out in this one week. And from a business standpoint, you're setting the expectation that like we're going to keep working together because this isn't done, right? And it sounds like also not giving into the lie that well, of course it's going to be better if it takes 10 times as long. Actually, sometimes it's worse when it takes 10 times as long. Often it is because you – too many cooks in the kitchen, watering it down, designed by committee. You lose yeah. your focus. You lose your enthusiasm. You're kind of done with it. It's the way that you look at a word maybe too many times and you're like, is that how you spell vacuum? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. you can't even see it anymore, right? There are so many things like that. We have two really big – mantras that have been kind of core to what we've done and they're related. The first one is that guessing is expensive. So for us as provider and for you as a client, anytime you're in a position where we're just throwing stuff at the wall and, and guessing, it's going to cost you more. It's going to cost us more in time, energy, and effort or time, effort, and, and, you know, focus. But that compared with let's react to real things. Let's like, put stuff out and not work in hypotheticals for so long, like do the real thing, right? Figure out the real thing. Like, well, what if we went after this kind of client or this kind of client, if we did this kind of process or this kind of process. If you see your whole business as iterative and everything that you're doing and you go, yeah, like let's make decisions on real stuff of, okay, now I have the client. Do I want to take this job or do I not mm -hmm. want to take this job? Right. As opposed to what if we had the opportunity to like, cool, get it first and then decide. Um, or, you know, have the thing and then decide. And I think that the hand in hand of when you have more time, there's more room for the what ifs. And sometimes that's good, but that will always be there. Building in the, the focus, I think, is how we get to real stuff sooner. Mm -hmm. And real stuff, I think, is always going to give 
truer insight. I love that. That's awesome. Carl, last question. You've been in this program. You've taken these insights. You've made them your own. You've got this amazing process. I know a lot of people, I think just your story even of all the things that have made such a difference are kind of helpful for people who are like, what the hell is this even? What is even possible here? Um, If you were talking to somebody who was thinking about joining us and they were kind of on the fence, what would you, what would you say to them? That it can be done. It's, it's everybody has, and this is where I think committing to that process and then being able to focus on how you do it your way, right? There are way, there are specific things because there's three of us because of that, like the way we're trying to do stuff and, and who we're working with, because we do have still like ongoing book of, of clients that have other needs. There are times we for sure intentionally deviated from the standard sure. right model. But one of the other mantras that we have is the learn the rules to break them on purpose. And so by committing and going, okay, this is how, this is the process. Now, in order to do it the way that's right for us, we need to break this rule with, with purpose and intentionality to get to this other outcome. And so, but you can't do that until you really understand the rules. And I think that really committing, digging in and understanding the rules so that then you can figure out where you want to break them on purpose to customize it to you. When you say is, the rules, are you talking about my rules? I <laughs> just think the format. It's true for okay, everything. Okay. So I think about it yeah. in the context that I love I love golf. I'm a big golfer. Uh-huh. And I think about the different ways you can use the same club to manipulate a lot of different shots. But gotcha. first you just have to learn to hit it straight. Yeah. Right? So once I learn to hit it straight, then I can on purpose change the rules of how I'm set up, how I'm swinging, right? To make the ball do different stuff. But I gotta I I can't break those best practice yeah. rules until I, I master them. And I think that that's the kind of approach I try to bring to the way I run a business is go, okay, what's the best practice? And then I can choose to deviate from that my way with intentionality, but not, you know, it, it I got to learn them first. I, I completely agree. And I think that's true of, of any program, course, consultant. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, just learn everything this person or this group has has done because it's obviously worked for them. And you always have to make it your own. Like the idea that you wouldn't make it your own is is like thinking that a business, oh, I'm going to build it and then I'm just going to stop and it's just going to sit like that. Just like you said about the yeah. brands. It's like a business is always evolving too, right? And the, the beauty yeah. of it is learn as much as you can from different people and then and then you find your own specific path. And I just love how you guys have done that because, because you're a little different. And, you know, I... I know that the fundamentals in there apply to all kinds of agencies, but I loved mm-hmm. watching how your your th- three-person shop really applied these with such power and then just deviated when it, you needed to and still got yeah. the results. So it's just been a pleasure watching. No, it's it's totally transformed the way that we see our business and the way that we interact with it as as owners and the things that it allows us to do from from the way that we approach sales to the way we approach our roles in the business to the way that we approach that balance of yes this is stuff that we do and and this is stuff that we don't do and so in that way i i don't know you know what we would be doing if we hadn't made this switch but i feel pretty confident that it wouldn't be as good and we wouldn't be as as passionate about it um as we are right now because it feels manageable right it feels like there are more pieces that I don't have to reinvent. It's like, I don't have to constantly, there's enough dials and knobs and stuff like that 
to turn in the business to have something you can just set and kind of, you know, move on from for now. Like, no, we do, this is the model that we do. And so then I can focus on tweaking the specifics of it and, and how we do that well. And I think that the beauty of it is you can try it, right? The next, like a client, just say, okay, what if I did it in a week? That's kind of where you got to start is like, okay, what if I started doing paid um, discovery, right? That's one that people have a really hard time, but like you do it and you buy in and you believe that the people who pay more are better clients, right? That like they are. I promise everybody <laughs> who are. does this will tell you the people who, the more somebody pays, the better client they are. And um, that's one of those things that like, okay, start down that path, set that, set that expectation early and get them on board with that and like, just try it. And the worst thing that can happen is you lose a client or you like, you know, you can fix it. Trust in your ability to, to roll with the punches and adjust. But I think you can, you can always try it. And it, it's cool because then it's really in the same focus, right? The same level of focus that like is required in the moment and it, from the client comes out in other parts of your business. You learn to trust your instinct. You learn to trust your ability to make decisions quickly. You learn how to see those building blocks and those pieces of, oh, I also don't have to reinvent this every time, right? The other areas of my process, you can like see opportunities to streamline and to not reinvent the wheel and um, to say, this is good for now. And so learning to exercise that muscle how you deliver, we've seen major benefits in the way we interact with our own business because of you. And because of you guys. I'm so, so <laughs> pleased at how you guys really grabbed this by the reins, Carl. You, yeah. I, you know, I've talked about these philosophies and taught them in so many different iterations and I give away so much for free. And like, I love watching people really go all in on absorbing it, trying it, even, I mean, that's why I brought it up. Even when you guys are skeptical, <laughs> that's even my, yeah, those yeah, are yeah. my favorite people because when you are skeptical, but you still go all in. Some people are skeptical and they toe dip and that doesn't work as well, <laughs> right? Toe yeah. dipping is tough because you're kind of yeah. waiting for it not to work and you're not giving it the power that you need to. And I'm just so proud of you guys for just like completely absorbing it and like using it to the most like to the the end and then, you know, making your iterations to make it work for you. So just bravo and well done, um, Carl. And I'm so excited for you guys and, and what's coming next. Thank you. Uh, Carl, where can everybody find you? Um, yes, yeah, so you can find us, Loom at HelloLoom, L-U-U-M uh, dot com or at HelloLoom on all the social medias. We are excited to be putting out a lot of, of new content in the coming months, really focused on this this idea of favorite brands and what does it mean to be a favorite and how do you think like a favorite um, and what do the favorites that exist in the world do better than everybody else. And so following us on social media and, and checking out our website are definitely the best places to, to get that. Um, and if you want to follow me, it's Carl S. Wilson everywhere. Nice. Carl S. Wilson. Um, we will link to all of that in the show notes. Carl, thank you. Thank you for coming on, for sharing about your business. Congratulations on everything and onward and upward. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure uh, as always. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll be back next week with more no BS tips for your agency so you can find more profit, ease, and freedom. 
The No BS Agency podcast is produced by Yellow House Media. Coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Creative direction by Sean and Tara McMullen. Our theme music is Knock 'em Down by The Shrugs. 